Good morning. I think it's working. Doing a great job. I want to thank you again, uh, those of you that were able to help yesterday uh, with uh, help group. And able, again, help a lot of families. And I will forewarn you. We're going to take communion at the end of today's service. So those of you that are at home or at ships at sea or wherever you're, you're watching, so you can get your crackers and orange juice or whatever you're going to use to as we celebrate the Lord's Supper together. If you're in the building and you did not get a, a communion, uh, piece, uh, communion elements when you came in, you can uh, just make your way to the back anytime during the message. Now, don't leave. I feel bad if you left. But you can work your way back there and Jim, Chad, or somebody, they're back there on the back table, I think, if you need something. Communion elements and you want them, they're back there. You can take your Bibles and turn to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. What we're looking at here, a couple of weeks, we started talking about it last week, and as we enter another year, 2021, and particularly in light of the turmoil that uh, is just gripping our nation in in so many uh, unfortunate ways. And even within the church, you see people who just um, uh, are at odds, whether it's over politics or uh, pandemic, uh, so many different things. And and God kind of led me in in reading Romans 12 in my own personal life and, and just felt like this was something that I wanted to share with you guys that the Lord had laid on my heart that it's essential for us as the body of Jesus Christ to love one another. But not only to love one another, to love those outside the body of Christ, non-believers. It's essential that we realize, we talked about it last week, and what it means to love without hypocrisy, to be genuine, to be sincere. We get our English word sincere, literally. If you look at Romans 12, verse 9, it's the theme for this whole paragraph, this whole text of Scripture. That little phrase in, in Romans 12, 9 there, that love be without hypocrisy. And it literally means be sincere. We get our English word sincere from it. And it means without wax. We talked about that last week. That, that I'm not wearing a mask. It's all, it also means that. That I'm not holding up a mask and being one thing and setting that aside, picking up a mask and being something else. That what you see is what you get, for good or bad. That it's real. That it's who I am. It's who we are. And so it breaks down into two groups. If you'll notice it on your handout, there are two basic groups. And Jesus summed this up for us. We're going to talk about that some more as we walk through this. But there are two basic groups in the world. There are sheep and there are goats or non-sheep. And Jesus divided the world into those two categories. You're either on the road to righteousness, you're a Christ follower, or you're on the road to destruction, you're not a Christ follower. But it is vital for us, those of us who are sheep, we're on the road to righteousness, the narrow road, that we understand we're no better than non-believers. We simply have experienced forgiveness. We understand grace. We have experienced it. We are living in it. We, we realize, and I, and I love the song we were singing. I love the old hymn, the, the old rugged cross. But everything we sang today, as you, as you focus in on and realize as we share communion again to get together at the end of our time today, you think about the blood and the body of Jesus Christ, the, the omnipotent, eternal 
self-existent, all those attributes we looked at over the last year, God of the universe deemed it not beneath him. Philippians says he humbled himself volitionally, chose, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross, because he loved me. And I think as an individual believer, let's start there. As an individual believer, every day, I need to revel in the fact that God specifically loves me. You've heard me share before about my friend Mike. We grew up, we were best friends, inseparable, and, and his birthday is January 14th. He's three days today happens to be my birthday. He's three days older than me. So I always call him on January 14th. He's a pastor in San Jose, California. We got saved the same day. I, I spent more time at his house growing up than I did my own because his mom always had fresh baked cookies out. And I thought that was really good. So I would always just hang out with the sweetest lady. And, and I didn't, did not come from a Christian home. His mom was just the, the essence of love. And everybody loved Miss Birchfield and just being around her. And, and so I called him every every. January 14th, I call him, obviously the same age, and he's, we're the, when we graduated from high school, he went in the Marines, I went to college, and, and we didn't see each other for a long time, and, and he got out of the Marines, and he ran, got his life together, and ended up in the ministry, and so when I called him 14th, a couple of days, three days ago, and I said, I need to call you because you're older than I am, and I, and I need your wisdom, and so we always talk for a couple hours, every he'll call me he said well I'll call you on the 17th I said don't bother I work one day a week and it happens to be on the 17th we talked for a couple of hours and it's 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 interesting I talked to a dear friend of mine who's in one of the mega churches in our area who's about my age a little younger I've known him 35 years he's been in ministry about the same length of time I have a little less I talked to him last week and he's getting ready to retire and I asked him what that was and just just in thinking about, and I go back to 50 years ago that I got saved, and Mike and I, my friend, were saved on the same day, and how God took us in different directions after high school, and yet we both ended up in the ministry. And talking to him 14th of January this year, 2021, and all the frustrations that he's going through with some people in his church, and I thought, man, God has really blessed me. I don't have that kind of pain. I don't have people trying to subvert me. I don't have people trying to to push me to do something that God doesn't want me to do. Uh, and I heard from my brother. And he asked me, he said, what do you think about retiring? And I said, look, I, I love what I do. And I guess as long as I mentally can find my way up there and until God says it's time for a younger man to do it, then I love what I do. And I love the people that I minister with. And, and just sit, you know, I got to go to help group for a little while yesterday and just watching and realizing you know, I'm not in, at the Bartlett campus as much as I'd like to now because what Mary's been going through and so many people who saw me just came, you know, came running over to me to ask me how I was. They, they genuinely care. And the world needs to see that. And I, was, I want to share with you guys, uh, whether you're again watching virtually or you're here in the building, uh, I know many, many of you if not all of you, have been praying for my dear wife since September, October, we entered this terrible thing called gastroparesis. And this week, 
after months of praying, we saw God answer that prayer. She's eating like a horse. Sorry, Mary. Um, we had our dear friend bring us one of our favorite meals, and she wouldn't even let me have any of it. She ate all of it. And it just thrilled my soul because, you know, you're praying simple things like, Lord, please let Mary eat. And then suddenly she can't get enough food. It's just like God said, okay, now's the time. I see you're going to trust me. Okay, now's the time. And in little, you know, watching her pray through all of this, how much she loved the Lord, and just in agony, wanting to die. And some of you have been there, and you understand. And, and just so thrilling to see God answer that prayer and some other simple things where I've been praying over the past couple of days, very specific need. Say, Lord, I need you to do this, do this, I don't know what else. And then, boom, he answers that prayer yesterday. And so I want to thank you for praying and ask you not to give up. To keep on, keep at it, because uh, it's better, but we're not beyond it. It's, it's, she's still having to deal with it in a lot of ways. It probably will the rest of her life, but uh, it is so much better. This week was so cool um, to see her smile and even laugh at my jokes, which she doesn't like anyway. I don't know, you guys love them, but she just kind of lives, puts up with it. She says, you know, you're not funny. I said, I know, but I look funny. That's really all that matters. That, so thank you for praying. All right, look at Romans 12. What I want to do as we think about this, turning back to what it means to be love without hypocrisy, that, again, the two basic groups are believers, the church individually, and then corporately, and that, then everybody that we have influence over that we encounter, that they can see, point number one on your handout, is loving fellow believers. That's what it means to love without hypocrisy. That's what it means to be the loving church. That's what it means to be genuine, not fake, to be real. It's that, let's start with loving each other. What you see in Romans 12, 9 through 21, I mentioned to you last week, if you were going to title this as Paul wrote it, the title would be, Let Love Be Without Hypocrisy. So you see that in, in, in verse 9. What he's going to do in verses 9 through 21, he gives 25 distinct exhortations by which we evaluate ourselves as believers and as the church, are we genuine? Are we loving without hypocrisy? Now, I will, you can relax. I'm not planning on exegeting all 25 in great detail because we would be here the rest of the year. So, but we're going to be here a couple of weeks, so we're going to look at it big picture and see what he's saying. So everything begins with us loving each other. We need to understand, number one, we talked about a moment ago, that I need to wake up every day and realize and just revel in the fact that God loves me, that he allowed, he's called me, saved me to be his child, and then sets me out there to show that love to the world. And it all begins with me. Then it begins, it steps into us. The world is watching us. How do we love each other? Not what's our religion like, not, not uh, you know, what hoops do I got to jump through to be part of that group. They want to know, they want to see, we talk about the fact we love each other, they need to see it. And one of the things I love about, about Christ Church, and, and we've, certainly marriage really experiences we have over the, over the last few months, is that she has friends now, my wife has, has some dear friends now that, who've been in our church for years, she didn't even realize that, that 
She could be that friendly with someone. Not just people who care and want to, but, but have shown her in very specific ways how much they love her. And it's one of the good things that God has done with this terrible thing is to show her how much she's loved. And the world needs to see that. They need to see that it's not just something we say. This is the key to understanding love in, in the New Testament. That agape is not just something that we say. Agape love, Christ-like love, is an act of the will. Jesus chose to go to the cross, agape, because he loved us. Agape love is an act of the will where I volitionally choose to love someone who, number one, does not reciprocate. They may, they may not. I love them anyway. We'll get into all of that. It's an act of the will that leads to action on my part. That's what agape love is. I can tell you I love you. John writes about this in in one of his epistles. I can say to you, I love you. But then when you have a glaring need that I can meet and I choose not to, what am I saying to you? I don't really love you. I just said I did. It's an act of the will that chooses to do good for others, even if they don't love me in return. It's unconditional. It's sacrificial. It's unselfish. It's Christ-like, because that's who he was. He's loving without conditions, no strings attached. It's simply an act of the will. So the world's watching us, and we need to realize, and I think sometimes we forget, because you get so beat up as Christians, we need to remember and never forget, as, as children of God, as Christians, as part of the church, the body of Christ, we are part of something that's far bigger than us. We're part of something that's far bigger than the United States of America. We're part of something that's far bigger than who's the president, who's running Congress. We're part of something far bigger than that. We are children of the king. We are, as Paul wrote to the church at Corinth, we are ambassadors for the king. And we are presenting the word of reconciliation to our world. I mentioned this last week. It's... If we think the United States is, is, is going to solve its problems without Jesus Christ, we're mistaken. We're not. We'll just be eventually be just another nation in the dustbin. But a revival based on the person of Jesus Christ where individual lives are changed can nationally change all that we are, who we are. It's happened in history before. It's happened in our nation before. And it can happen again because our God is the sovereign owner of the universe. That's who we serve. So it all begins with, number one on your handout, loving each other, loving fellow believers. Back to verse 9. The first thing is that we sincerely love each other. We've talked about this a little bit. Sincerely love each other. Again, love, let love be without hypocrisy. No ulterior motives, no matter what the circumstances are, you expect nothing in return. It simply means, the literal in Greek is, let love be, be oh, sincere love is without hypocrisy. Sincere love. You're devoted to each other. You choose to love one another. You just do. It's the supreme virtue 
focused on in all of Scripture, but particularly in the New Testament. Give me an example. The Apostle John writes this. We've known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love. And he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. Jesus Christ himself said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and the great commandment. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Well, that is God's word. That's what Jesus was saying. Peter, the apostle Peter writes, Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth of the spirit in sincere love of the brethren, love one another in the church fervently, fervently with a pure heart. And above all things, have fervent love for one another. For love will cover a multitude of sins. Paul, to the church at Corinth, wrote, Faith, hope, love, the greatest of these is love. The way I share my hope with you, the way I manifest my faith to you, is by loving you being devoted to you. John MacArthur, in his commentary on this passage, put it this way. This kind of love centers on the needs and the welfare of the one loved and will pay whatever personal price is necessary to meet those needs and foster that welfare, end quote. That you're that important to me. That we're that important to each other. That if you have a genuine need, I'll do and sacrifice personally what I need to to meet that need, if at all possible. Second phrase there in verse 9 gets a little more personal. It says, well, how do you do this? Look at verse 9 again. Abhor what is evil. Abhor it. Cling to what is good. Hate evil. Proverbs 8 says this, to fear the Lord is to hate evil. Pride Arrogance, cruelty. We are to reject and hate evil as it manifests itself. The standard in my life as a believer is God's word. And what would Jesus Christ do in this situation? What would he have me do? What would he do? And the idea is this, is that I hate evil. I really want you to hear this because it, 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 God woke me up. This was two weeks ago as I was studying this. And I've been a Christian 50 years, and I saw this passage in a whole new light. When he says abhor evil, look at verse 9 again. I'll make sure you, you see it with me. Love me without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. I want to focus for a moment on the phrase abhor what is evil. The whole context of this is that love be without hypocrisy. Be genuine, be real. And then he says everything else flows from let love be without hypocrisy. So the first bullet point of that is abhor what is evil? So if there's something in Mike's life, we'll use Mike because he's up here. We could use anybody. We'll use Randy, Steve, whoever. If there's something in Mike's life that's evil, I abhor and I hate the evil. Well, what's my attitude toward Mike? I what? I love him. I, will, I love him. How many of you, you don't have to raise your hands, but just think. Because it's really hit home personally with me in the last month. How many of you have somebody in your life that's either been addicted to drugs or is currently struggling with some type of addiction? You don't have to raise your hands. Think about it. It was my brother's personal abuse of alcohol for 
50 plus years is in the process of killing him right now. And you know how many years I've been talking to him about that? Almost 50. And I love my brother. But I hate what that choice he's made has done to him. He's cool. He's funny. Looks just like me. I love being around him. He's three years older than me. You know, growing up, if you've got a brother that's three years older than you, what's the only thing you want to do? You want to hang out with him and his cool friends, which obviously, what was his attitude about that? One of my brother's closest friends growing up was a guy named Johnny Newman. And unless you lived in Memphis for a long time and loved basketball, you don't know who Johnny Newman is. But Johnny Newman played basketball, and he was a superstar at Overton High School where we went. And he was one of my brother's best friends. And I loved basketball, and I just wanted to hang out with Johnny Newman. And he ended up going to Ole Miss. He played in the pros. I mean, he was probably, other than Penny Hardaway and Larry Finch, the greatest basketball player Memphis has ever produced. He was tremendous. But an absolute knucklehead. And he and my brother were, were good friends. And I just wanted to hang out with him and, I'll, you know, just look up to him. And I began to discover, and shortly after that, I got, I got saved and began to realize that there are other things in life more important than your brother. But I love both my siblings. But the choices they've made in their lives, I hate so back to what is, what is God saying here. Remember, this is all about let love be without hypocrisy. You want to hate the evil, what it does to someone, but you have to love that person. What can I do? Remember, what sacrifice can I make that will give me an opportunity to love that person? So here's the picture I want you to see that I've missed many times. Maybe you've seen it. Abhor what is evil. This passage is not talking about look at other people and find out what in their lives is evil so you can't abhor it. Yes, you do. But you know what he's talking about? Examine your own heart. Examine your heart and abhor the evil that is in you that keeps you from loving the other person the way you should. I've shared this with you before, but it's so apropos with my younger brother. When our dad died and with the estate, my younger brother had my father leave him every penny. Had him sign a will. My dad dad died of Lou Gehrig's disease. It's a horrible way to die. And my brother had him sign a will that left everything to my younger brother. My older brother and I didn't get a penny. Now, my older brother's not a Christian. My younger brother's not a Christian. Who's the Christian in the relationship with the three brothers? That would be me. And my older brother wanted to sue and go through all that, try to get our money, and it didn't work. Now, my attitude toward my younger brother for a long time was wrong because of that significant amount of money that he took that should have been mine. And the Holy Spirit ate me up because you know what it, even though what he did was wrong, he was a non-believer. What did the Holy Spirit want me to do? Loving and turn the other cheek. So I went to him one day in the house that he inherited from my dad 
And I said, I won't, I'm asking you to forgive me. And he said, well, you, what, do you, what did you do? I said, I've just had, as a Christian, I've had a bad attitude and I've been bitter towards you and I've hated what you did to me and I want you to forgive me. And man, it was like someone took a 50-pound weight off my back and said, okay, put that one aside. And my brother just, he's sitting there bawling. What did I just say to him? No matter what you do to me, I love you. No matter what you do to me, I love you. Why did I have to do that? Two reasons. Because I have to abhor the evil that's in me if I'm going to be everything that the Lord wants me to be. And he commands me to love even those who don't love me in return. And how did Jesus put it? Pray for those that despitefully use you. I'd been despitefully used or abused. And yet Jesus said, you ask God to do something good within the church for that person. I realized my brother wasn't saved. But it was an opportunity for me to have a testimony to him. So back to this, in the church, I am to examine, as we love each other, I'm to examine my heart. Not go around pointing out Mike's sin, even though they are multitudinous. It is not my job to go point out what's wrong with Mike. It's my job to point out what's wrong with Randy and be the, being the testimony to him and to everyone else that I can and, and be as Christ-like as I can possibly be. And if there's some way that I can love him and help him deal with whatever the evil is that may be in his life, that's my goal. Not to say, man, what's wrong with you? What was the number one criticism Jesus got from the religious elite of his day? What was it? Look who he hangs out with. He hangs out with tax collectors. I realize none of us want to do that. But Jesus did it. He hangs out with tax collectors and prostitutes and sinners. Why did Jesus hang out with those people? Because he loved them. And he wanted to send a message to the religious elite who thought they were better than them. And their message was what? No, you're not. I love them too. Just like I love you. And, and in fact, Jesus pointed out the evil in the Pharisees much more than he did the others. There was evil in all. And he loved them all. So back to what he's saying to us here. Abhor what is evil. That mean that you condone evil, you don't condone sin. Think about Jesus with the Samaritan woman at the well in John chapter 4. What a great story. And once she was a Samaritan, how many Samaritans did Jews hang out with? The answer is zero. She was a Samaritan. Number two, she was a woman. How many Jewish rabbis hung out with women? The answer is zero. They didn't even hang out with their own wives. So you had, she was a Samaritan, she was a woman, and she was a woman of ill repute. She was on her fifth or sixth man at that point. Yet Jesus went to her, met her where she was. because She wasn't going to have the opportunity to come to him. He went to her, met her where she was, lovingly walked her through how to deal with her sin. And the Bible says she went back into her town to them, everyone, including the men, and began to share with them about the Messiah and saw conversion after conversion after conversion because she met the Messiah at the well who would give her living water. If you're born again, 
we as we love each other, the fellow believers, as we love each other, what we understand is we've experienced a miracle. We've been translated into the kingdom of God. We've been adopted into the family of God. How many of you, again, no show of hands, I don't get anybody in any trouble. How many of you have somebody in your family that's really hard to love? <laughs> we all do. We all do. But you still have, they're part of your family, aren't they? Like, when we've joked before, like, how many of you had a crazy Uncle Randy that you got to put up with? I have a lot of those. Love each other. Abhor what is evil. Hate it. But notice the next thing, the positive side. Cling to what is good. Abhor the evil that's in you. Deal with it. Get it out so you can love each other. Cling to what is good. The English word, or the word uh, cling there in verse 9, we get our English word glue from that. Just simply means to bond to something. First Thessalonians, Paul writes these words. Test all things. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Test everything. And if it's good, cling to it. Bond to it. If it's not, abstain from it. Get rid of it. Why? So you can be loving. In Philippians, that great passage in Philippians chapter 4, Paul writes these words. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of a good report, if there's any virtue, if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. What does the word meditate mean? It means don't just think about it in a passing thought. It means concentrate on it. Focus on it. Spend some time there. Like when we take communion today. Spend that time meditating on the blood and the body of Jesus Christ for you on a personal level. What does that mean? Meditate on these things, the true things, the pure things, the lovely things. The things which you've learned and received and heard and saw, learned, received, heard, and saw in me these do, and the God of peace will be with you. Here's what he's saying. I loved you, I taught you, I modeled for you, and the things that you've seen in me that are praiseworthy, true, lovely, of good report, do those things. And then you go out and love them also. That's what discipleship is. You teach, you learn, you do. You model. Sincerely loving fellow believers, I examine myself so that if you hold me up to the light, talked about last week, I'll be without wax. That's what the phrase means, the original language. That you realize I'm sincere. All right, second point under loving believers. Look at verse 10. Not only do we sincerely love you, but we serve each other devotedly. Serving each other devotedly. Verse 10. Be kindly affectionate to one another and with brotherly love, in honor giving preference to one another. Kindly affectionate. That simply means I'm devoted to you. Like a family member. A tender love for someone in your family. I'm devoted to you. What do you need? It's like with your children. 
Sometimes your children can frustrate you. Maybe even anger you. But as a parent, you're always going to do what? You're going to take care of them. You're devoted to them. If you're married, you're devoted to your spouse. What do you need? What, what can I do to make your life better? It has nothing to do with money. It has to do with spiritual things. With, as, as parents, you want to provide the very best you can for your kids. But to make sure that they're nurtured and that they're trained, nurture and admonition of the Lord. So the time comes when they go out and their parents on their own and they under, they see. Think about this. I'm so glad I'm beyond, even though my son is getting ready to get married again. He's 33 now, so that's kind of on him. But when your kids are growing up, and I was thinking about it even today being my birthday and getting texts from my children and phone calls early this morning. And but when you got daughters and you're watching them grow up and they hit high school and approach college and those ages and you start, you know one of the things that terrified me? Who's going to marry my daughters? What's that guy going to be like that marries my daughter? Because I didn't think any, it could be hard to find one good enough for my daughters. But man, the Lord takes care of that, doesn't he? He just takes, Beth couldn't have a better husband than Ryan Thorne. And my, my, uh, my wife, my daughter Martha, or her husband Brett, tremendous. Couldn't be any better. Now, would I have run out and said, this guy? No, I wanted to find one exactly like me. Thank God that they chose better. Because I want what's best for them. And now I'm thinking about, like, I've got a granddaughter that's 16. And many of you know Ella, and she's sweet. And I'm thinking, there's not a guy on the planet good enough for Ella. There's just not. But God will take care of that, won't he? You love them. You're devoted to it. Now, we in general, that, here's the point. We serve each other devotedly. Second point there, kindly affection, affectionate to one another with brotherly love. Now, this is not agape. This is another type of love, phileo, Philadelphia we get from it, which means brotherly love in the family. That means not only do I, I agape love everyone, and I agape love fellow believers in the body of Christ. But we also have a special bond of a phileo, family, tender, hang out with each other. You're my brother, love. I'm joking about Mike. I can joke about Mike that way because Mike is my brother. I know how much Mike loves me. I can do it with Rhett. I can do it with Chad. I can do it with Steve. Not because we're their elders. I can do it with John, Nathaniel. Go around the room, Jim. On and on. Why? Because I know they love me. They're not out to hurt me. Agape is the big picture. Phileo gets more affectionate. Agape is, is you're choosing to do what's right, even though sometimes you know, I don't feel like doing that, but I'm going to do it. Brotherly love is, you're special. You're in my family. I'm committed to you. I'm in this relationship, no matter what. You stick together, you serve together. John, John in his first epistle said, if anyone says I love God and he hates his brother, he is a liar. That's pretty strong language, isn't it? 
For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he's not seen. In other words, back to big picture, I manifest my love for you. I show it to you. I can tell you I love you, but then if I show by what I do that I hate you, do I love you? Of course not. I say I love God, but then I hate you. John says you're a liar. Because if you love God, what would be your attitude toward other people? You would love them. Why? For God so loved. He gave. If I love, I serve. Exactly what it means. Verse 10, the next second phrase. In honor, giving preference to one another. And that means I just genuine appreciation for you. Admiration for each other. Respect. No envy. Like if something, you get a promotion, that I would be just really excited for you. No envy. You get a new car. Wow, that's really cool. I'm, I'm really thrilled for you. Not, how come I can't get a new car? No envy. Genuine appreciation, respect, admiration. The Phillips translation of the Bible, it's interesting how this phrase is translated in verse 10. In honor of giving preference to one another, he translates it this way. Be willing to let others have the credit. Be willing to let others have the credit. That it's not about me. It's a sign you've probably seen places that says this. There's no limit to the good that a man can do if he doesn't care who gets the credit. That I'm not trying to get a pat on the back. I'm not trying to get people to, to look at me. I simply serve people. In the, again, we're talking about within the body of Christ. We serve each other because we are in the body of Christ. Simply meeting each other's needs. Paul told the church at Philippi, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind or humility, let each esteem others better than himself. John, again in his epistle, said, my little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and truth. By this we know love. Because he, Jesus, laid down his life for us, we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. If you have this world's goods and you see someone in need and you shut up your heart from him, how does the love of God abide in you? We know we've experienced love because we're born again. We prove it when we show that love to others. Jesus, how did Jesus prove to us he loved us? He said it. How did he prove it? The Bible says by dying in our place. Jesus said, greater love has no man than he laid down his life for his friends. And then he went and did it. Remember in the upper room discourse as it begins in John 13, the very first thing that happens, Jesus said, knowing that his hour had come, what's the very first thing he does? Washes their feet. He gets down and washes their feet. When he gets through, what does he say? Because he came to Peter and what did Peter, being, being who he was, what did Peter say? You know, I'm washing my feet. And Jesus said, if I don't wash your feet, you have no part in me. So when he got through, he said, now if I, your Lord and Master, wash your feet, which is the, a picture of the lowest thing a servant could do for another, now you go do that for each other. Now go out into the world and make disciples of me. Make servant followers of me. So we ought to sacrifice for one another. 
And then the last point for the day before we have communion together is verse 11. We've got to be spiritually diligent on your behalf. Verse 11. Not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Spiritually diligent. Not lagging in diligence. That means not being lazy, being intense about my spiritual life. I don't give up on being everything that God wants me to be, and I don't give up on you. But I love you. I care about you. In Galatians 6, Paul said, if you, if you see a brother or sister in sin, your goal is reconciliation, not embarrassment. It's always reconciliation because you love them. We're serving each other. Did I have, to have the little Greek here in verse 11 of that phrase, not lagging in diligence, is that I have intense effort and motivation to be everything that God wants me to be, which will, an attitude that will result in an action of love. A pastor that I read, and they didn't have his name in the article, this quote, said, the persistent and passionate pursuit of divine directives in spite of discouraging difficulties, diligence, no matter what your circumstances are, I want to grow spiritually. Colossians chapter 3, Paul wrote, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord and not for men. David said to his son Solomon the following words, You, my son, Solomon, acknowledge the God of your father, serving with wholehearted devotion and a willing mind. Be strong and do the work. Be strong and do the work. Proverbs 13, and it's the last verse, and then we're going to go into the Lord's Supper. Proverbs 13, the Bible says, The sluggard craves and he gets nothing, but the desires of the diligent are fully satisfied. In other words, the sluggard is just satisfied to exist, but the spiritually diligent gets after it because I want to love others. I'll do everything God wants me to do. Would you bow your heads and then we're going to get the Lord's Supper together. Father, we thank you for just kind of opening the word to us today and, and getting us outside ourselves. We focus, focus on the person of Christ, who he is, what he's done, and to realize that he then says to us, now you love each other. You go and do what I tell you to do. You love one another. So, Father, I pray that as we think about within the church, that it all begins with us in the church, loving each other, fellow believers, for two reasons. One, so that we can be what you told us to be, but number two, so we'll have a powerful testimony to our culture, to our world, what church really is. Not what they think it is, but what it really is, being a loving genuine place we pray in Jesus name amen here's what I'd like to do should all have your elements take you some time to get them open but you got them what I'd like you to do for a few moments while while the worship team uh, leads us you just take this time you be alone with you and the Lord thinking about the body 
and the blood of Jesus Christ. And after the song, I'll come up and we'll share the elements together.